Hello and welcome to episode 627 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, January 10th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I am joined by Justin Mason. And Justin, we have a special guest today. Boom. Our very own Jeff Zimmerman. What's up, guys? I'm doing good. Talk to you guys today. And um, yeah, just kind of, it's just more feels like baseball season with football winding down and just exactly. start kind of, so, signings are happening. I kind of holding off, like, really diving in until the big guys come because wherever they sign, there's going to be so many other kind of side effects, but it's, we're there. Yeah, we really are. Once football ends and, and you start getting those uh, dual dual sport folks over, we're, we're really into baseball season. So it definitely feels like we're finally there. Justin, how you doing? I know you're riding on virtually no sleep. Yeah, 90 minutes of sleep last night. Uh, it is 7.45 in the morning on the West Coast. Uh, life is bleak. Things will never be the same. Uh, the Giants suck. I have to do a Giants preview here in a little bit uh, for a different podcast. Uh, this is uh, just, just shaping up to be just a, a truly atrocious day. Heck of a day, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we brought Jeff on to discuss his new book that he wrote with uh, with Tanner Bell, called The Process, so we're going to be excited to talk about that. But we also got blessed with a few moves before the uh, before we got together this morning. Two moves this morning, two actual key moves. Uh, so we'll get into those real quick, and then we'll talk a bit about the book. Let's start with the Osmani Grandal. Reached an agreement with the Brewers for one year, 18.25 mil, just, about, just over, I think, the qualifying offer, and I believe he was given a qualifying offer, and so... He basically took a qualifying offer with a different team. So uh, I'll start with you, Justin. Grandal out to the Brewers. They didn't really have anything uh, behind the dish that that suggested that they couldn't get somebody like this. He was clearly the best catcher available uh, outside of a, a trade for Real Muto, which just doesn't really seem like it's happening. I feel like they're really making sure they want to make sure they don't get yelled again. And so they're, uh, they're, they're asking for quite a bit, which is understandable. I don't blame them for that, but yeah, Manny Pena and Eric Kratz weren't going to stop them from going out and getting a catcher. And this is the move they make. I like it for the Brewers. How do you feel, Justin? Man, I feel bad for him because he, uh, sometimes the whole, you know, I'm going to wait for the better offer never materializes and you're stuck taking a much worse offer. We saw uh, Moustakis uh, in, in recent years uh, and supposedly Grandall had a four-year $60 million offer from the Mets uh, that he turned down thinking he was going to get more and now he's taking a one-year $18 million. From a fantasy perspective, I think it is a pretty stagnant move in terms of his fantasy value. Uh, if anything, he, uh, he he might get a few more homers, but you move into Miller Park. But uh, I think the the team contract around him would be uh, virtually the same. Uh, the only nice thing is we don't have an Austin Barnes situation where we think he's going to lose playing time, and he is a pretty good defensive uh, player and, and pitch framer. So. Uh, he could actually help some of the pitching uh, in Milwaukee, and that's true. That's uh, that's something that is uh, pretty nice, especially if you're in on some of their guys like uh, Corbin Burns or uh, Jimmy Nelson, so or whoever you know. If they trade for Bumgarner, he would be a, a, a really nice addition for a guy like Bumgarner. So uh, I like it from a pitching perspective. I and I, I've always been a Grandall guy, and I think he's uh, a bit underrated coming into this year because of. 
uh, getting benched in the postseason two straight years. Yeah, he had the the ugly postseason, like you mentioned, two years in a row now, where he's really shown his be- his worst work uh, in those LCS uh, and then the World Series two years ago. And, you know, of course, that becomes kind of the lasting sign. I'm sure some Brewers fans will be like, what are we getting this slug for if they're not, you know, if they're one of those fans that's kind of more focused on just their um, – just their ball, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not shading them, but they don't necessarily kind of see outside of their team. So they only saw Grandal against their team looking like trash. Uh, Jeff, more of a question because I'm not sure that you're going to disagree all that much on what Justin just said about the move itself. But how are you feeling about the catcher landscape at large in fantasy this year? It seems to be really barren, of course. Um, I think we all know that. But how are you addressing it? Are, are you going to shoot for somebody like a Grandal, maybe a Wilson Ramos, both of whom were free agents, so they have new teams? Or are you going to be in that middle-to-back-end bargain pool of um, kind of kind of dreck? How are you approaching the pool this year? Oh, oh it's horrible. What I'm probably going to do is – I always have stated that all the catchers seem to hit 220 with 10 home runs and no steals. And I'm just going to try to get two guys that do a little bit better than that. Yep. <laughs> that it's like, oh, they're like 18 home runs. You know, it's like, I don't want to pay for a ton. And I may see people start reaching. It kind of depends on the price. I don't mind paying for these guys. Maybe after the 10th round or so in a 15 team league, maybe start looking for a catcher's then. I don't want to have to have a top 10 round pick to be a catcher if they get hurt. I mean, they're definitely more injury prone. It's, there was a great study that Bill James put out last year, but like the amount of injuries, they're like five times any other position wow. because the ball is just bouncing off of them. It was kind of a yeah. small study, but it's just like they went to the games and it's just, everything's bouncing off of them. They get hit by bats. So it makes sense. Just, I mean, they take a beating back there without a doubt. So I just want something that they can do a little bit better. That it's just like, oh, they have some batting average. And the one thing, if you pay, play in an OBP league, it, people don't kind of notice the guys that have the OBP. I agree. Uh, Russell Martin, for a couple for a long time, had great OBP. At least you're yep. getting that from them with their horrible counting stats. And Grandal's so, one of those guys that, that contributes the OBP, I think, too. Right. Like You look at the 237 batting average, he's kind of right in that range. That's what he's projected at. But then when he's got a 344 OBP, he's not dragging you down. So that's kind of my deal is, is every year – whenever I start actually my real drafts is I'll sit down and literally rank out the catching landscape. And it's like, these are the ones that are kind of above that mark. I want to kind of get two of those. And I really don't mind paying a little bit into like 10th round or later with it. But I also don't want to actually get below some of that 220-10, which are some of those guys that are going to be starting that aren't going to have the power or batting average or, I mean, they're just complete um, drags on your team. So I definitely don't want to know where that line is too. So I just kind of sit down with it and um, at some point figure it out. But like, you really just need everyone to sign because who, I mean, Kratz was not good, but if they didn't sign him, he was going to be in the pool. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, Eric Kratz kind of, I had this joke where every time I saw Eric Kratz last year, he did something. It was insane. Um, you know, he obviously had a lot of key hits, but then you go look at his numbers and and they were pretty dreadful overall. So I swear I saw every one of his key hits. He only hit 263, 283, 55 last year with six homers and six doubles. But I swear I saw those 12 hits. And then, of course, in the playoffs, he went off. It was insane how often I saw Eric Kratz contributing. And, of course, I'm sure there's some sort of, like, memory bias of because it's Eric Kratz, I would remember it. But it was hilarious. They couldn't go in as a contending team with Pena and Kratz. 
rats. And you might not be all that familiar with Pena, uh, folks. I know you two are, but but other people might not be. He's not some young and up-and-coming guy. He's 32. He's, he's a journeyman backup catcher who's a perfectly fine backup catcher, but not a starter. So the Milwaukee Brewers need to do this. This was a good move for them. I still think catcher's dreadful. If somebody drops in that upper tier, Ramos is the one I really like to eye. But with him being a free agent and going to a new team, I think that's going to push his value up a little bit. I kind of wish that he wasn't uh, uh, kind of fresh-faced that way because I thought that he was somebody who uh, could usually get a little bit cheaper. But I think he's going to be pushed up. I'm going to be in the middle tier like Jeff, just trying to get better than better than what that average dreck is at catcher. Um, but I think a lot of teams are going to be avoiding it and i wonder if maybe a gary sanchez then becomes a value uh justin let's end the catcher talk there uh, on gary sanchez d- d- what area do you think uh you'd, you'd see where you say you know what this is now too far i want to get i want to get gary sanchez well and i mean it's all about league contract too so in a one catcher league unless a guy unless a guy like gary sanchez falls uh, you know, super amount, uh, I, I'm probably just doing what you guys are doing. So, uh, you know, but if we're talking two catcher league, uh, I took Gary Sanchez and I, I didn't realize it was one catcher league when I did, I thought it was two catcher league, but I took Gary Sanchez in the, uh, pitcher list, uh, experts mock, um, because I felt like he, I think he fell to the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. You- I remember because uh, we actually talked about it when Nick and I were doing the reviews. I thought that was a pretty pretty fair spot to get him, even in a one catcher mm-hmm. league. And I, you know, I keep seeing Sanchez drop that far in a two catcher league, and I think that you have to kind of take the chance that he rebounds. One, the the upside is great, especially at the catcher position, but two, because you're rostering upwards of thirty catchers or even maybe more in a uh, in a fifteen team league. Uh, the drop-off is just so huge uh, that the majority of catchers that are being drafted are giving their teams negative value. And so if and you I get used... a guy who can give you double-digit uh, value in terms of uh, auction dollars, um, it's just a huge boost to your overall lineup. Your point on the negative value thing is very important, and uh, this is definitely something that you could probably learn more about reading uh, Jeff's book, The Process, and, and being able to make your own projections and learning things like that. But it was something I learned uh, reading the front stuff of Baseball HQ about end gamers and which end game positions deliver the best and worst value, and catcher by far is the worst. And I used to take those $1 catchers, saving that money and and trying to spread it out elsewhere, but unless you're getting, unless you're hitting on the gems that you're spending that extra money on and like getting the superstar players who are going for 4 or $5, you're probably not making up anything because of the negative value that those catchers are giving you. So I don't like to wait till the very end pool anymore. I like to be firmly in that middle. So that's catcher. Uh, when we start doing our uh, positional previews, we'll, we'll dive more into we'll it. We'll skip that one. Yeah, we'll skip it. That, that was it. We covered it. We're not drafting anything. Uh, but let's move over to the other signing that we got. Literally, right as we were coming on, this was official, that n- the Nationals are going to sign Brian Dozier for a one-year, $9 million deal. And we don't always talk about the terms um, because in fantasy, they don't really matter. But I, we brought them up because we were discussing how stark of a difference it was between Grandal and Dozier. And it really seemed that the the major leagues had a big recency bias here going off of their previous year. And I, listen, there is a positional difference. I'm not saying that that Grandal shouldn't necessarily make more than Dozier being a catcher versus a second baseman. But to double him up 
um, seemingly, uh, I think, heavily based off of what happened last year, where Dozier had a really poor year and, and Grandal was really solid. That's kind of what surprised me. Jeff, when you saw uh, Dozier to the Nats, what were your first thoughts on how it is as a fit for them? Well, they needed someone. I mean, that was – they're probably going into the season with Howie Kendrick. And actually, Kendrick is a nice bench bat where he can play in the outfield. He can He's acceptable in the other infield positions. He's played most of them throughout his career. So he kind of moves him into a nice spot if they have an injury that they can move him around. Yes. And then they have Dozier playing second. His skills, he's on the decline. It's just kind of simple that way. Um, looking at like his um, StatCast stuff, um, his speed is down almost a foot per second. I mean, his league rank has gone from like 185 in 2015 to 357 this year. His um, exit velocities and hard hit numbers are also down. They've been on the decline. His hard hit percentage just even um, in 2016 was 36 percent and last year it was down to 28%. Like his rank in those, he's just an aging player. I think he's fine in there. It'll be interesting to see where they slot him in. If he's really in, stuck in the lineup. Bat. Well, in the lineup. So how many at bats he's going to get and who's going to kind of be in front of him. I'm kind of worried yeah. he might be like seventh and not get a bunch of hits. So roster resource has him sixth right now going Eaton, Turner, Rendon, Soto, Zimmerman, and then Dozier. So, I mean, that's, I don't know what that kind I of runs really... is he going to score for those exactly. guys? Exactly. Yeah, I don't really. Ribbies, you know, at least, at least Gomes and Robles are behind him, and if they could pan out to a level where they they're still uh, driving Dozier in, like you could see it. I mean, Gomes is kind of solid, unspectacular, but if if Robles goes off, because even if Robles goes off, I don't really see him scaling the lineup. Uh, now, Eaton. We're assuming some health, which is probably faulty, because then if he gets hurt, Turner can go up, and then Dozier or Robles, whoever was performing better, could could move up as well. But let's assume for a moment that that there is a modicum of health there. I think if if Robles performs how a lot of people are hoping uh, with the way he's being drafted, he could be the one that could be the key driver for uh, for Dozier scoring some runs there uh, at the bottom of that lineup. Yeah, that kind of assumes Zimmerman's healthy too. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of assumptions with their health. You make a great yeah, point Eaton. about Kendrick being a good fill-in, at least, though. Yeah, and then, so I think the overall lineup's going to be good. Um, just kind of, it's a good spot for him. It's just one of those deals he's not going to have the at-bats, especially being down there. That I mean, each spot down, you lose about 30 at-bats. And his volume used to be, a, I mean, it was oh, a yeah, major. Oh, yeah, seven, three 700 seasons and a 691 in the four years preceding last year's 632 for Dozier. Uh, and that was a big driver in, in his ability to put up those big, you know, mid-20s, mid-teens, homer, uh, stolen base seasons, peaking with a 42-18 season back in 2016. So that alone, I think, even if you bring the skills back. Even if you say, okay, he's going to rebound closer to 16, 17 with his skills, the volume alone is going to undercut it a bit and, and kind of limit what he can do. So you guys have to put, keep that in mind when you're projecting Dozier. That's a great point by Jeff there that he is going to be near the bottom of the lineup. Uh, Justin, you actually called this one. This is, this is, this is where you had, had Dozier going. So you're probably not surprised by it at all. Uh, now that it's set settled, how do you feel? You think this is somebody that you want? Do you want Dozier now that he landed in a spot that uh, you seemed thought was a good fit for him? Yeah, give me all the shares. Um, <laughs> I, I love Brian Dozier, and especially 
uh, in a year where it feels like second base is a bit light, uh, especially kind of in the middle and, and later tiers. I feel like Dozier is a, a very underrated guy. Uh, contact rate actually went up last year. Uh, so in spite of you know losing a little bit of the power uh, that Jeff mentioned, uh, he, he was still making contact. I think he got uh, pretty unlucky in terms of his BABIP, a 240 BABIP when he's a uh, career 270 uh, BABIP guy. Uh, I, I think just some positive regression gets him back to being a, uh, a, a pretty interesting piece. In spite of hitting 215, he still had 21 home runs and 12 stolen bases. That plays yeah. in a lot of leagues, and he's a guy who walks uh, at a double-digit rate. So in your OBP formats, he gets a nice boost. Uh, I'm going to be all over Brian Dozier, uh, especially when Adam Eaton gets hurt and they can move Brian Dozier to the top of that lineup. Adam Eaton does not get hurt. What are you talking about, yeah. dude? Yeah. It's a modicum. Uh, he's the, the model of health, I should say. And the beauty um, of it is as soon as Ryan Zimmerman gets hurt, they can move Dozier over to first base and bring up uh, Carter Kibu. I mean, that'd be great. Uh by the way, Carter's a good one, right? Spencer is the brother yeah, who's like Spencer's meh. the catcher who's met. Um, so, and Carter Keyboom is former former shortstop, but he's been transitioned over to second. He's got some real power and pop in his bat. Nady grade name. Uh, I find this interesting from a real baseball perspective too, because when most teams are going to deeper bullpens, the the fact that the Nationals have gone out and bought these rotation pieces. Uh, that can, you know, a lot of them that can go really deep into the season, 208 mm -hmm. seasons, uh, are, are allowing them to go with a deeper bench. Yeah, they uh, are kind of going against the market, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I just, it, it's it's a real interesting strategy. And it, of course, they could always change right now. Roster Resports uh, projects them to have seven bench players, uh, or sorry, seven uh, relievers and uh, five bench players. Uh, where a lot of teams are going with four bench or three bench and and a much deeper bullpen, four hundred so, relievers, yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's an interesting strategy, uh, going against the grain, like go, going kind of old school. Uh, but I, I don't mind it either. No, I, I like it. And they've got some key bats uh, off the off the bench there. Kendrick and Matt Adams are both sharp bats. Kurt Suzuki's a good backup catcher. I mean, he's done a great job as a, a catching caddy, and, and if he and Gomes kind of split time, uh, he could be good. Wilmer Defoe, you know, a decent prospect. Michael Taylor's shown flashes, too, so their bench, a lot of their bench guys could start on a lot of ball clubs. I mean, that's that'd be the starting lineup for the Orioles right there. I was just about to say that. <laughs> you, got, he, the, you shift those five guys over to the Tigers or Orioles, and they're all getting 600 plate appearances right now. So I think a lot uh, of people right. are going to kind of count the national out after losing Bryce Harper and not making the playoffs. Uh, but I think they have gone from being a favorite in the National League to kind of a sneaky team in the National League. I agree. I agree, and I'm not I'm not quitting them. I think now that the pressure's kind of off, everyone has turned their attention to the other teams in that division, and uh, as well as keeping an eye on the Dodgers, of course, in the other side of the uh, of the league there. They're a team to watch, and, and I like what they're doing. That lineup runs deep. The rotation runs deep. Bullpen, they actually have some pieces that they can count on. They need somebody like Doolittle to actually stay healthy all year, though, because he's their bullpen ace. Bullpen is still their weakness, but that's why they have the deep they rotation. they got a bunch so. of, like, bounce-back guys, too. Rosenthal yes. and, and Bearclaw and uh, Coda Glover showed some flashes of what he used to be. 
uh, last year. So I th- that the bullpen is definitely the weak point, but at the same time, it could turn into being a strong a strong part of their team. I agree. You can make one on the fly, and of course, they can always add in season two if they need a, 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 just one key piece here and there. Uh, to kind of strengthen it. All right, let's go ahead. And, uh, sorry, Shelby Miller. You're not as much as I love you. We're not talking about Shelby Miller to to the Rangers. How Why do they keep you? signing the 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 <laughs> scrub guys that I like that I wanted to go to like cool teams where they have a good ballpark? I like they keep doing that to these players, and I'm like, dang it! I knew I knew that Texas was going to sign Shelby Miller. I've been a long time Shelby Miller fan. I'm really hoping he can get back on track. But uh, they did it with him. Who else was uh, one that I, I've always been a bit of a Lance Lynn guy, but I'm not. I just I don't like these guys out there. So it's like forget it. But uh, so we're not talking about it. We're getting into the process, integrating valuations and biases into a winning fantasy baseball formula, written by our own Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell. Jeff, give us an overview of the book, and then uh, Justin, and I have a few specific questions for you as we uh, as we go further. Um, as the, the book is supposed to be from beginning, like from beginning right now, if you just quit playing fantasy, you know, dealing fantasy football, how to kind of set up your team from beginning to end and running it through the season. And parts of it, you don't have to use. I mean, we go through creating your own valuations, but we're also like, well, if you don't have the time, just at least use some kind of calculator. Yeah. And get steamer, get our action calculator, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like just at least have some system with it. And the other thing that we kind of, pushed i mean one was definitely with the projections is go back if you're think a guy's going to do better is actually put down their numbers if you think dozier's going to actually hit higher in the lineup than maybe some of the projections think because people will get hurt give them a few more at bats and see what that um, change is um don't just be like oh he's going to hit higher so i'm going to move him up like 10 spots in the or 20 or some set number just actually figure out what that is and the one thing we found is those small changes don't matter a lot with the best players because there's kind of like a, it's not really the talent drop isn't linear. It's kind of more of a curve. So the top guys have a little bit more of a change, but if you're at the bottom there where those guys have all the players are kind of all even, even a $2 change in a player's value can move them up like five or six rounds. So that's just something to also keep in mind. And the biggest thing is what Tanner found out. He worked on some in-season stuff that many fantasy owners may need to, with those bottom few spots in your lineup, almost treat your team more like a football team on week-to-week basis if you're on a weekly league. is You really need those at-bats. You need um, as many two-start pitchers as you can, no matter how much you like your guys. Is You probably need to set up your team so you're churning possibly two to even five spots, especially in the beginning of the season. There's a lot of spots that open up. Um, probably a big key early on is to look at lineups and see Nick Markakis batting fourth like last year. And it's like, if anyone's batting fourth, they probably should be owned. Even if they're on the Royals, it's just those at bats add up and they're going to have every, all the other supposedly good players around them to get the good counting stats. So it's, it's really tough, like coming out of a draft, you had all these sleepers, and then the first thing you should do is get rid of them all. But you really just need to look at that playing time those first few weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the toughest thing about projections, of course, is how is that they're a moving target, right? I think sometimes if people 
I, I have some issues with projections sometimes that people get married to them and they're like, this is the number. This is what the projection says. It's a moving target, right? I think even someone like yourself who creates them understands that they're moving. Obviously, you create a set that you take into your drafts. I've seen your your draft boards when you go into like tout. And um, first off, you're a pen and paper guy. I love it. I respect it. You kind of get your board. And uh, sometimes you even like cut out the pages and glue them to a cardboard so it's sturdy and then you're just kind of uh, checking them off. It's awesome. I love it. It's old school. It's fantastic. But obviously, you know that once the season starts, projections you know, sort of change. How often are you manipulating the projections based on what's happening in season and then going off of that? Or, or maybe a, the better stated question is, what is your in-season process for evaluating players versus your, your preseason one? I think it um, depends on when in the season. Um, one of the biggest keys, I think, like literally the first week, you should be looking at pitcher velocity and lineup positions. Mm-hmm. Start to get and, an idea of what what where those things are at. Right, and just there's not much other stats that you can look at. Like, oh, they might have a great game. I might look if there's a pitcher with like two pitches to see if they're throwing a third. How good is it? But I mean, nothing's going to really stabilize then. <clears throat> But I think um, one of the things that I'm, I find myself definitely prone to is not looking at my lineup enough to see who's hurt, who sh- I should be benching. It's like, oh, this guy will turn it around. But is there some reason? Like, was he hit you know, in the hand? He didn't sit out a game, but he's struggling a bit. Maybe I should sit him for a few weeks for it to heal up that it's just a bruise that he's playing through, but my stats will suffer. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those deals like during the season, I think a lot of teams don't, I mean, don't really look at their own lineup to see who they should be benching, but then just looking at other players that have the playing time or maybe a talent change. But in it kind of also depends on the league size, because with like a 12 team league, there's so much, I feel like there's so many talented players out there, but once you start getting into 15 or more, the talent pool is the replacement level is just kind of rough unless someone really oh, kind yeah. of pops up that in our tout wars league, I think Yomer Sanchez was added and dropped like 10 times. Like he was, the, <laughs> cause he'd have a good game once a week. Yeah. That made people, yeah. The people get excited about his one three hit game each week. Like, Oh, oh, here we go. It's time. No, no, it's not time. But I think he had like middle, he was double qualified. So you could like, if you had yes. an injury, you could slot him in for anywhere in the infield. So it was one of those deals where it's like, well, he was just, all right, wait, I got him this week. He's gone. <laughs> you know, it's like I figured out my players or someone got healthy, especially with the 10 day DL. Someone came back and, but it's trying to find those guys beyond him. And the deal is, is they pop up so early that you need to be on them. Like the Jesus Aguiars and figure out who's, who, who needs to, who you need to put your valuations in and just kind of be cutthroat early on. For sure. Um, go ahead, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of in the beginning of draft season, though some people are a little bit more insane than others and have already done a draft. Some someone on Twitter told me they had already done thirteen. I saw uh, that thirteen what? drafts. I uh, thought I was psycho, but I, I no. thought I was too. And we pale in comparison to this. Yes, that 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 man can't. is uh, got a serious addiction issue that uh, maybe him and I can discuss uh, offline. <laughs> but. Uh, Right now, we're really starting to look at ADPs. ADPs are starting to develop, and you do a whole section on how to use ADPs, but also 
kind of the flaws of it. So talk a little bit about that because I think it's a really important section of the book. Um, the big thing with ADPs is at least with NFBC now, it's a little bit better that you can kind of set the time frames. But where those rankings get so set from the beginning for, say, with ESPN, their ESPN is going to come out with the ranking. They have to. Every place has to kind of give an initial rankings just to have it. And they kind of, the ADPs get locked into that. Like if someone's going down or if uh, there's a um, machine drafting, they're going to look at the top yes. player, pick them, and they're just going to stay at that position. They don't move much. So I think that's one kind of issue that happens with ADP is you really kind of need to ignore it and get your valuations and then look to see if you're um, – I'm kind of a big um, Brad Keller guy. I think he's got a good chance to go up, and he's his ADP is at nothing. And I'll kind of look at, like, where his top one is and maybe, you know, once you go in the earliest and maybe give it a few rounds or a few picks, but it's like I don't want to miss out on him. But I might as well let him slide and not take him at my the value I have him at. Of course, yeah, there's always that balance, right? Of like, okay, the ADP says this, and my ranking says this, but just because I'm seven rounds higher, I probably can take him three rounds higher and get away with it. But then you start playing that game of of chicken with the rest of the draft, and you hope you don't run into somebody who kind of feels similar similarly about uh, about your player. I know that that. That's a challenge I run into sometimes because I, with a pitcher specifically, which is funny that you mentioned Keller, and I think you mentioned in the book that a lot of the biggest differences in projections are with pitchers. Um, that playing that chicken to make sure that you don't get that that you don't lose your guy just by trying to wait too long. Yeah, and it's it kind of easier with auctions is that you kind of know, like he can come up and you'll know if someone else is in on him and what's happening. But with drafts, it's yeah, it is kind of a chicken game. There's some formulas. There's one in um, the Baseball HQ one, and I've written one um, in their handbook. And um, I, there's one linked in the book where it's like there's a percentage. Mm -hmm. And I usually aim for the 80% if it's some guy I really want. It's like once he hits, like there's like a 20% chance. If someone's going to go early, I'm just going to live with it. But once there's more than a 20% chance of him going, Andy's my top player, I usually take him then. Just go for it. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not afraid to to take to take my guy higher than ADP um, because I, I don't want to I don't want to lose him to somebody else when when I was comfortable taking him. Especially if you're like looking for somebody to take in a round, you're like, oh, I should look to find somebody because I don't want to take my guy yet. Just take your guy. Um, obviously, you you have to balance. You don't want to be too egregious and take your uh, 15th round guy in the sixth round, but but you you want to be on the the front end of that and not get burnt by somebody uh, taking your guys. You mentioned a great thing about site bias, and the guys over in this league do a fantastic job. They do a podcast dedicated to it every year, where they talk about the differences in sort of the base ADP of the different outlets, so that you know. You know, because a lot of people play multiple leagues, and if they do them on different sites, that ADP on CBS versus ESPN versus Yahoo can really influence where you get guys because people are going to see a certain guy pop up on their board higher or another guy's going to be hidden. So you really want to know the the site that you're at and what sort of ADP they're running out because uh, it, it could burn you or it could really help you depending on, you know, if your Brad Keller doesn't show up on ESPN forever. 
you kind of keep letting them go. But if CBS has, you know, someone over there, one of their analysts pops him up a little bit and all of a sudden he's six rounds higher, you need to know that as well. So be mindful of the ADP of the website that you're working on. Now, I will say one of the most impressive things about yours and Tanner's book is uh, the scope of it and how quickly y'all turned it around. I know you and I were talking, you say, hey, I'm going to delay my piece here a little bit uh, for this because I'm working on the book and, and, and we're here and then we're almost done. I couldn't believe how quickly you got it done. I was impressed with that. Now, you mentioned at the very beginning that this book is something that's never supposed to be done. It's kind of an ongoing sort of thing because obviously the game shifts. Remember, we were really pitching heavy a, a while ago, and of course we've been through the steroid era a couple decades ago, et cetera, et cetera. The game changes. What are some of the evolutions that you see this book undertaking in the short term even? Obviously you can't predict the future, but even in the short term from when you guys published to say March, do you plan to add things and maybe make another online mode, or is it something that you're just going to add for the for the 19 version? Um, we will adjust some. Um, the one thing that we found even during it, and it kind of broke some of our own beliefs, was how closers are changing. Yeah, and how oh, the middle, so much. And the middle, like the 10 save guys, like you're going to have these top guys, and you don't, and they're all going to get traded. There's only, even looking this year, I keep like I want one guy that's on a good team that you, you expect to be in the playoff run and not get traded. Exactly. And, Justin and I were just talking about that recently about, about the closer pool and how, how crazy it is, how unsettled part of it is free agency. But, but I don't know that the clarity is going to be that fantastic, you know, uh, come March. I think there's still going to be a lot of uncertainty. Oh, it, I don't think it's going to be cl clear at all. It's just one of these deals that you're going to have to kind of get these, try to find like the Ottavino's, or the haters, which are tough. I mean, people already know them. Yeah. So their price is built up. You have to try to find the next ones. That are going two innings, that the chances of them getting saves and wins, which that was part of haters' value, was he got like six, maybe eight wins. I can't remember exactly what the number was. But okay. he had some value given with that because he was throwing two innings. Like most of them, oh, they'll get three. But since he's going two innings, there's more likely his team's coming back, he's going to get that win. Six so wins, that was 12 just, saves. So you had 18 save plus wins there. Which is perfect. I mean, that's what you want out of any pitcher. It's, I mean, yep. it's not the perfect balance or so forth, but that combination, you really can't ask. And all of his other strikeouts and everything, I can see why people want it. I'm a little bit worried about the wins, but even Ottavino had a decent number. So I think those guys that are going multiple innings could get a few saves and just give you the, the 100 plus strikeouts is huge because the other thing I think will be a change is also with pitchers is those top guys that are throwing 200 plus innings with a 10 K, you know, strikeouts and the extreme whip and ERA. I think that they almost deserve and first round consideration, those top three pitchers sale Scherzer and DeGrom. And it's just, there's so much, higher than the replacement level at the bottom. There's so many guys at the bottom that are just going to go five innings. They're not going to give you those high numbers and you just need a couple of them in your leagues. I kind of noticed it when we were toward the end of the book. And um, next year, I'm going to look a little bit more into that process. We ended up with two pages of stuff that we wanted to do and just kind of ran out of time. Mm -hmm. So it's one of these deals like, well, we wanted to do this. One thing I know we wanted to do was we went through three evaluation processes. Well, this next year, we're actually going to go do three of them with a set of projections and see where the differences are. 
and kind of see where some of the valuation changes are different when you do each one of them. That's, that, that's interesting. Um, and, and definitely something like, like you mentioned, like I said, at the outset of the book, a lot of things change. This is ever, ever evolving. And so it's something that, uh, you know, take the lessons from it and apply them, but always be flexible with, uh, with, with the factors that are changing. Justin, go ahead. Uh, get it paperback. I, I, won't, I want a paperback on the next edition. So <laughs> we we ran into an issue that it was going to be paperback and maybe not even by now with some of the editing process. So it was a time bit, and we kind of want it to be. We're not going to do player previews with everyone else doing them. Yeah, so just it would just be another one, you know, added to the mix of of not not that they wouldn't have been good. It's just that you you guys were trying to do something different. And any of the stats that we have, like we did the standing gains points, made that available for everyone. We did um, any of the um, split values, um, some of what the Colorado pitchers throw in neutral parks, like just stuff that wasn't available online. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted to provide. And we any suggestions will be great. That's like this isn't being provided. We want it. We're going to add it. And, um, yeah, no, it was an editing thing that we kind of wanted it to be done at the end of the World Series. And we – had editors that had just disappeared. So it was one of these deals like, all right, we got to kind of work ahead. So we're talking about the paperback. One place that we had kind of talked to was worried about the volume and now they're not. So, um, well, maybe for 20, I I said 19 earlier, obviously you'd be writing it in the end of 19, but I meant the 20 edition, by the way, just to clear that up. And it was, yeah, it was just one of these deals where, um, we're definitely looking into that and people are a little bit more encourageable, encouraged by it. I mean, it's going to be kind of a bigger one. I mean, we're already like 200, some 263 pages. I was looking at the index. So it's going to have some bulk to it. So that's kind of one, um, I don't know if it's an issue, but no, there was, it was definitely an alighting process going through it where I would type something like that's just stupid. Once you kind of think about it and kind of put the whole process of what you would do, in order, mm-hmm. you you talk right. a, a little bit about uh, bias, um, and I, I feel like I feel like this time of year is like prime for people in the industry to show their biases. No so, doubt, start planting their flags. Yeah, exactly. Yes. This, this is the time in which we're going to we're we're going to kind of do that. So, talk a little bit about bias and and how it relates to fantasy. I think the biggest one, and I continue to see, actually, there's probably two of them, and one we didn't write about enough, but the one is the recency bias, what they just did, just like we talked no about doubt. all and blocking that this is what the person did this last year. This is the last thing I remember. You know, this is, that's all they're latched onto, and a lot this of that- This is who he is, is now, right? You know, it's like, it, it, it gets too much locked into see. that. <laughs> And by the way, everyone on this show right now, I think we would all admit we're guilty of it too. A different bias. How dare that, you? That, it's impossible not to be, but you have to try to be aware of it and 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 balance it. But uh, continue on, Jeff, and how bias affects fantasy and where you can kind of uh, benefit from it if you're not being too caught up in it. Well, I mean, even at first pitch Arizona, they have the three NFBC drafts, and really there is no projections. There's not. I think Steamer just came out. Maybe it, that it had it had come out like I think right before the drafts, um, which I think was new. I don't know if it's always out 
because I always participate in those drafts. I don't think it's always out. I think this year maybe they got it out a little bit earlier. I might be wrong on that, but uh, it had just come out, and so we could kind of check that against some of the stuff that we had uh, that, that we had drafted for. But usually those three drafts are the first three that get put in the NFBC ADP. Mm-hmm. People really don't have an idea that they're kind of just drafting off a whim or what just happened. So those are kind of getting anchored in that bias initially from just what happens a month afterwards. And then you start seeing the NFBC ADP and people are kind of latched onto that. If someone just kind of bumped up a player or one owner took a chance higher, his ADP's high. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's this, you know, like Mondesi, he's probably got a little boost from that and slowly move his way down as time goes on. Um, the other bias that I kind of find is the, Oh, like the player disappointed, a disappointing bias. Like the more he disappointed owners than the previous season, the more likely people are to stay away from him. The, the burn bias. Yeah. I'm yeah. not getting burned by this guy again. Right. And it's kind of funny. It was like, there's some players I take. It's like, why do you hate this guy so bad? I mean, his numbers are fine. Like, and then I look like, oh, he burnt everyone the last year and I just didn't have any shares. Exactly. You weren't, you weren't part of the burning. I kind of run the other way on that. I'm more inclined to dive back in on a guy almost thinking that he owes me Uh, (laughs) like, Hey, I drafted you last year. Now I'm going to take the discount and get, uh, and get, get my money back from last year. Well, I kind of feel that way. It was, you guys are listened to you and Nick on the going with Archer. And I think one thing with Archer is I accept that he's going to have the four ERA and Mm -hmm. I just kind of put that into his projection. And it's just something that I, like I know he's going to be bad, but it's just like I'm not going to run away from those all those strikeouts with, and it's just one of those deals where it's like, well, I've been burnt, but I just kind of need to adjust my projections and figure out where he is and just not completely just ignore him because I don't want to get burnt by him again or something like. Sure. I definitely if will you, go back to the well. If you're aware of, uh, if you've made the proper adjustment, I think it's okay to go back to somebody. I think it's when that adjustment isn't made that can be problematic for a guy. Talking about bias and and going back to somebody, one thing that that stuck out to me was the the little part you did on on sunk costs and like I understand the principle uh, of sunk costs. I'm a little bit conflicted on it though with regards to fantasy. You know, you you bring up the point of hey, I paid twenty dollars for a guy in an auction. Part of the season goes by, he's not performing. Somebody offers you know the rest of the season projection says he's worth five. Somebody offers you seven. Uh, seven dollar player, so you're getting plus two, but then you're you're latched on to having paid twenty for him. I'm t- I, I like I see that principle there, but then I go back to the same thing that other project that projection guys say of like trust the projection. Why would I trust the new rest of season projections so much more, especially if it's like a month and a half month month and a half in over the full season projection? Um, if if his skills are still there, but but maybe the performance hasn't been there with the BABIP or, or or some of the home run to fly ball stuff. Like I thought we're supposed to not go small sample size too much and and completely change things based off of that. So if I'm on May 15th and my $20 guy isn't quite performing yet, I don't want to say shouldn't I expect him to get back because you don't want to get too flawed in that of like just because he hasn't performed here, he's definitely going to get back to his level there. But that happens a lot. Right. I know that 
economically, the, the principles, it's flawed that way. But in terms of baseball, is it really flawed? Because often guys do, if they if they suck for a while, they're an established guy. They they have this period of down downtime for a month, month and a half. They get back to their level because they have their hot streak that 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 kind of gets them right. Again, I'm just conflicted on it because, like, I understand that there are principles that that say that it's wrong, but then it happens in baseball all the time. So, is the sunk cost principle really that strong in in baseball? Is it something that should be, uh, you know, paid attention to and and be a guiding force for for your players, or is it something where you trust the season long projection, barring maybe an injury or a great change to their outlook, say moving down in the lineup or losing a starting spot? I'm just a little conflicted on that. So I, I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit more on sunk costs and how you treat that principle when you're when you're uh, managing your season uh, players. I think the it is like has any. Like a twenty dollar player is, if it's not too far into the season, I may not. But I mean, it was kind of tough to hold Ryan Braun, hoping last year, mm-hmm. and depending on what you were giving up with him, that it was just like, well, he's only playing three days a week. Like, I mean, earlier on, if you'd have said, you know, you should have dropped him for Nick Markakis, it would have been a great move, but it would have been a tough one to do with what you had invested in him. I think the big thing. With that is seeing who's out there, seeing what they're worth. And what you sort of mentioned is, did the player change his talent? And this last year, I was dealing with Danny Duffy, which was horrible. It was, oh my God. And I, you know, get probably $13, $10 or so in the auction. But I was just looking at his velocity and everything else, and he couldn't throw strikes. And I'm like, there's just better players out there. I've got to move on from him. And let him go. But the most interesting thing was, is in Zola's report and the report at um, BP, they um, look at him to see who's it. And everyone's like, I can't believe they dropped Duffy after, you know, kind of spending this much. And I was like, what I probably should have done is see if I could have shopped him. And I think that's one thing you can do is that if you're not interested in him, is maybe move him on for, you don't have to go way down off the waiver wire or whatever, but Try to find some guy that you think has moved up that they didn't pay much for. And I think people are really kind of locked into that cost. You know, maybe they didn't spend much on, I'm even trying to think of like with Jesus Aguiar, like, oh, I didn't, you know, just picked him off the waiver wire for, you know, a dollar. I haven't really invested much with him. I'll rather move him on and you spend all this money, you know, in the auction on it. It can be that way, but. You really just it's where you go to your lineup and just see what his talent is. Um, Matt Carpenter was a, a guy I dealt with in one league, and I just had to sit him. Like I'm not dropping him, but I was like something's wrong. And I think that's what you sometimes you have to do is just not even run out their lineup. Is just find someone else to replace him that you're not good with. I remember one year Eric Cosmer started out just horrible, and many times he's done that. But it was just one of these like, what are you doing? Like I just thought there was like a hidden. Who was the player? I'm sorry, I, I didn't. What player are we talking about right now? Cosmer. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. I think it was 2017. It was just horrible for a couple months. And it was just like, what is going on? I think he might even dealt with an injury. And I was like, like, I'm not dropping him, but just something's not right. And his X stats, I kind of look at X stats now, especially with hitters to kind of see where those are. Like Kyle Tucker just had a horrible year, but all of his X stats point to like a nice turnaround. So it's one of these deals. It's like, well, he should turn it around. And Carpenter was kind of that way, too. His X stats all looked really good. And it, but it was just like, well, 
just because the stuff's not lining up, but it also came back to a point I made earlier. It's like those bottom six people you can't fall in love with. Like, exactly. You have to be ready to, to, to churn. Um, that, that's definitely something that I've learned over, over the past few years of don't get too hung up on those uh, last few guys, last few reserves, last few round picks. Those are the guys you got to move or else you're going to miss on all the J.D. Martinez's, Jose Bautista's, Jesus Aguilar's because you're going to be stuck saying, I have to hang on to this guy. And here's the thing. You're going to get burned sometimes. You're going to cut the guy who does come along um, and you're going to pick up a dud or you know, a guy who's only good for two weeks. But it's about the burn and churn. It's not about the one time you miss or even necessarily the one time you hit. It's about the process of churning those spots to find the best possible players. Yeah, and then that, that's where I just kind of concentrate a lot on. And even um, we talked a lot about closers in it and kind of gambling on them. And I think the one thing I'm going to may do is with my pitchers is just pick up a bunch. And if I miss, I'm done. I move out. And then I can start looking those first few weeks to try to find those gems that are popping up and playing time gems or other, you know, some pitchers going two innings and th- getting a lot of strikeouts and start bringing those guys in. And if I hit on, you know, pick up five or six closers. And even if I hit on one, that's one closer that, I mean, I don't have to pay for in the, we looked at some of the prices paid for closers in season and it's nuts. So I almost would rather pay a little bit on getting a little bit more during the draft than have to go deal with it in season. Especially for like the pop-up guys. I think that's one of the biggest things that doesn't get discussed when people talk about just getting uh, saves in season is is the cost that it takes. First off, you're going to be competing against everybody. There's always going to be multiple people in on those those guys who just get anointed as closers. So you're going to be allocating a bunch of your your fab resources to it. I don't know that you're saving. Uh, in the end, I think I'd rather save the the fab in season to adjust uh, all my roster spots and just draft a couple closers earlier um, as opposed to deal with that mess all year long. So I think that that's a great point as well. But as we wrap up, Jeff, uh, first off, where can, where can folks get the book? And, uh, you know, what 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 should they expect to get out of the book reading it for this for this year going into their drafts? If, if, if somebody doesn't run projections, they're not quite fan graphs heavy with with dealing with the next level stats where can they get the book and what can they expect to to take away from it early on um the book is the sign up is at the fantasy baseball process.com okay um, i'll link in the uh, show notes too and um i guess the biggest thing i would say from anyone if you're not going to create your own projections the in-season stuff is um tanner did a lot of that we kind of took different sections and he wrote up a lot of that is even um i learned a ton from it that's where rob silver was reading it and he was like this stuff's crazy and he had to go check it because he didn't think it was right and (laughs) so he actually ran some other seasons went back and checked it and the in-season stuff knowing how to the churn and burn and then we did a lot of great stuff on a draft like how to go in how to prepare for it how to use the adp um, kind of a lot of stuff on like talent isn't linear, even though we have rankings that are one through a hundred, mm-hmm. the difference between one and 10 is huge compared to the difference between 90 and a hundred. Exactly. 
So, which is what I start to talk about with the glob and pitching. You know, once you get to the 35 level, 35 might not be so different from 75. Yeah, it's and that's where it's like a little bit of change in a projection that you know, if you add change it a little bit, you'll be that way. But that's where we. I mean, that would just be the one thing is I would read through it. And if you're not going to do everything, you don't have to do it. But I think it'd be a, it's nice to have it available that you mm-hmm. know, oh, this is how to do it. And I mean, you can just skip over the sections on like standing gains points and Z-score if you're not going to do it. I mean, there, there's a lot of words to them because we had to go through the exact process. But um, some people want to do it. And I think it has a huge advantage, especially if you're having like in a startup league that's like, oh, we're just – you know, we have all these weird categories and everything, and it kind of gives you a value of like, oh, some of the stuff may be overlapping and which players to kind of concentrate on. That um, that's one thing. But no, I, I think it's there's I mean, I learned stuff, a ton of stuff writing it. Definitely people have read it and have found stuff that they've learned. So um, just yeah, please just go and um, pick up a copy and let us know what we can add to it. Like I said, we plan on changing it and making the stats available every year for everyone. Fantastic. Uh, that, that'll be great. Plus, you also are on the Launch Angle Pod. You mentioned Rob Silver. He's one of your co-hosts over there with Van Lee on the Fantrax website. So definitely check that out. It comes out every week. I think there's going to be a new episode today because you moved uh, usually on Wednesdays, but uh, it's actually going to be Thursday this week. So, Jeff, really appreciate you coming on, talking with us. We should definitely have you on again in season uh, since we got you right here in-house and you're always writing some of the best stuff that we have on Rotographs. So appreciate having you on and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me.